0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus in chapter number 18, the book of Exodus in chapter number 18. We've been traveling with Moses through the wilderness as he's been dealing with two and a half million people, and it hasn't been two and a half million happy people but often it's been two and a half million complaining, grumpy people. Dealing with a lot of issues. Now remember that whenever you have people, you have problems. Just mark it down. That there are going to be times that people don't get along. There are going to be disputes that come up. There are going to be disagreements that come up. And someone has to handle it. Well at this time, it's been Moses. Moses. Can you imagine one person trying to settle all of the petty arguments of two and a half million people? That would be a tough job for anyone. Well, let's jump in and see how this is handled in the book of Exodus in chapter number 18. The book of Exodus in chapter number 18. And notice with me in verse number 1. Exodus chapter 18 in verse 1. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons... Which the name of the one was Gershom, for he had said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father, said he, was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father in law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness, where he encamped at the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law Jethro and come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to greet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him and they asked each other of their welfare and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced For all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who had delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who had delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein they dwelt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came and all of the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. And when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest, art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel. And God shall be with thee, be thou for the people to God word that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and thou shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter shall they bring unto thee. But every small matter they shall judge, so that it be easier for thyself. And they shall bear the burden with thee. And if thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so then thou shalt be able to endure, and all the people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged all the people that judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went into his own land. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Exodus in chapter number 18? The book of Exodus chapter number 18, and notice with me in verse number 21. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21, notice the phrase, thou shall provide able men. We have that whole phrase there, but break it up into two. Thou shall provide able men. And with the Lord's help, I want to rearrange that title just a tad bit. And with the an idea here from this passage, able to provide faithful men. Able to provide faithful men you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you for your wisdom that you display in here, that there's very practical ways of handling things that you give in your word, and that we just have to be obedient to them. Help us to have discernment as we open this up that again this is very pastoral, very practical, very something that we could apply easily even in this old church here. We're asking that you would just help us to have a good understanding of each point of this that we could move forward together and that you could do more things as we serve you together than we ever could just trying to do it our own self in our own way. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Fill me with your precious spirit even now. I dare not try to say what I think. Lord, I want to say what you want, that you would set things in order. Let this message be a help To our church folks. As we move forward. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well as Moses and the children of Israel. Outside of Mount Sinai. Remember they are in the land of Midian. This is the same place where Moses had been working for 40 years. As a shepherd for his father-in-law Jethro. And so he's come back to the same place where God had called him in Exodus chapter 3. So they crossed the wilderness. They're now in the area. And so because they're in the area, his father-in-law brought his wife and his two kids to go see Moses. Now, some people said, well, where did Zephora go? The last time we saw her, she was going with Moses to Egypt. Well, there was probably a very practical thing that if Pharaoh knew that His wife and kids were available. They could have been targets. And so when he realized that things were not going to be easy, he very practically said, why don't you go back to dad and take the kids, and I'll catch up with you later. So it was a very practical idea for their own safety. So they could not be used against Moses to try to leverage and try to get Moses to not follow after God and give in to Pharaoh. And so now as they come back, Jethro comes, they bring uh, Zephora and the kids, and there's a happy reunion, and um, Moses is thanking Jethro for taking care of his wife, and taking care of the grandkids, and... How everything goes. And they have a good time of fellowship. And they bring in all the leadership. And they have a big meal. And everyone talks to Jethro. And you can imagine Aaron asking the questions. What was it like to have Moses here these last 40 years? Has he been a good boy? Has he been, you know. And getting all the stories. And here's (coughs) uh, Jethro probably asking about. Aaron and of course this is probably one of the first times that Zephora and the kids have been able to see Aaron uncle Aaron and see his kids and so they're just having a good reunion day the thing is is that work has to come and so after they have a good day the next day Moses goes back to work and with two and a half million complaining people there's going to be people that have disputes There are going to be people that have problems. He's in my spot. Quit touching me. All the things that the kids have problems with. And so they're coming up to Moses and they're asking, well, what about this? And what about this? And he doesn't do this. And this isn't fair. And so what happens is that Moses gets up in the morning. He kind of sits down and all the people flock to him. And one by one, he tries to take care of the problems. He's trying to be a good leader, and he's trying to take care of this. And Jethro watches all day as this happens. Now, he doesn't say anything during the proceedings. He lets Moses go through it. But when he's done, he says, what in the world was this? Well, Moses said, someone has to solve the problems, and God placed me in charge. And so what I'm trying to do is trying to handle it. He says, but do you see the line out here? There's too many for you to handle. You're going to wear yourself out. This isn't good. I mean, you're going to kill yourself. You're already 80 years old. Now you have to deal with the problems of two and a half million people. He says, this isn't good at all. He says, what you need to do is you need to teach someone else the word of God. And you need to teach them how to teach someone else the word of God. You need to show them the work. In fact, notice with me in verse number 19 as we see this this." Um, advice from Jethro. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God word that thou may bring us the causes to God. So he says, "All right, now it's your job. Your job is to go before God and go before the people. Your job is to give those causes, but you need to pull some people in." In verse twenty, and thou shalt teach them the ordinances and the laws. And show them the way wherein they must walk and the work they must do. So Moses, your job is to direct traffic. You need to teach people the word of God. You need to teach people the way that they should walk. You need to teach them the work they ought to do. So there's a way they should go. There's a work they should do. But you need some help. There's some practical things you need to do. He says that you need to pull, uh, organize people into efforts. Now we even saw this in the gospel record of Mark during the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that Jesus had 5,000 men and that's not counting the wives and it's not counting the kids and all of them were hungry. So what Jesus Christ did was he lined them up in a straight line and said everyone come to... No, what he did is he organized his efforts and sat them down in companies of hundreds and fifties and tens. He organized the efforts. Then what he did is he gave the bread to the disciples. And the disciples brought them to the people. So that way everyone was taken care of. No one was missed. And no one fell through the cracks. We have to organize our efforts in order to take care of everyone. Can you imagine? Two and a half million people. That's a lot of com- people that have problems. And they're all lined up to Moses. And you can almost see Moses working so late every night. Because there's still a long line. And eventually he says, alright, that we're done. And people went home not having their, their complaint heard. Now if they were like anything like us... If we didn't get our question answered right away, if we didn't get our problem solved right away, now we got to live with that overnight and it just boils over. And it doesn't help the problem. And Jethro sees sees this is not good. Because we need to make sure that everyone's still taken care of and no one falls to the cracks. So in order for that to happen, we have to organize our efforts to make sure that everyone is reached and everyone is taken care of. It is without a doubt that every structure has a capacity that they could effectively use. For example, one person could effectively minister to a certain number of people before people are starting to be neglected. Some people are really talented and can handle a lot of people. Some are just talented enough and God-given enough gifts. They can handle a small amount of people. But even the most talented person can... Only effectively minister to a certain amount of people before people are neglected. So what has to happen is that the bigger we become, the smaller things must get. Things must be broken up and people must be trained and placed in a leadership position to be able to take care of those people. For example, in history... The Sunday school movement was one of the most powerful movements of being able to affect and take care of people. And one of the leaders of the Sunday school movement was Lewis Insminger, who happened to be the Sunday school superintendent of J. Frank Norris, who pastored the two largest churches in the world at the same time, one in Fort Worth and one in Minnesota. He pastored them at the same time. He would fly to one and fly to the other. But you say, how in the world, the two largest churches of the world at the time, how do you do that? Through the Sunday school. What he did is through Lewis and Spinger, is they would do something where they would have a Sunday school class with seven people. They would have a teacher and an assistant. And as they would grow the Sunday school, it would go to 14 then the assistant would now become the teacher. They would both take assistants and they would t- take the class of seven and grow it. Now, one person can handle 10, 14 people. One person can say, if someone's not in my class, I can follow up with them and say where you're at. That way he could report to the pastor and say, hey, so-and-so's out because he had surgery. You know, the pastor's always the last to know. I don't know how many times someone had surgery and I knew about it three weeks after the fact. Like, where is he at? What happened? Because they didn't bother. But some person can take care of a small amount of people and make sure that they're doing all right. Making sure that if they have anything, they could be taken care of. And they can minister to them. And then through the organization structure... Make sure that it's passed on. Appropriate information is passed on. And everyone is taken care of. And everyone is reached. This is what Jesus did in the feeding of the 5,000. And this is what Jethro is telling Moses to do with the two and a half million people. You have to organize your efforts. You have to break it down into things that people can handle. And have an organizational structure. So that way everyone is taken care of. And no one is missed. Now with this in mind... It wasn't to pull anyone and everyone. But there were qualifications in order to be an assistant. There was a qualification in order to be in the ministry. And these qualifications are important. Now we live in a world today where people don't like qualifications. They have in the mind, it doesn't matter what the qualifications job is. Anyone should be able to do that job. Well, next time you fly in a plane, you just remember that it doesn't matter what their qualifications are. Uh, it just whoever's available, they can go ahead and try. Or the next time you want surgery done, you go ahead. It doesn't matter. what, the, As long as they're available, they can do the job. You see, we all believe that sometime or another there's qualifications. And God gives qualifications for people to be in the ministry to help. Now, this is important because ministry in most churches are not done correctly. And because of that, the church's structure, uh, structure fails, people are not helped, and the church is limited on what they can do. Does that make sense? So therefore, let's see from this passage here, What are the qualifications in order to serve the Lord in a ministry capacity? This is going to be important, so we need to understand, even for us, we follow these same qualifications here at the Riverview Baptist Church. So what are the qualifications? Well, if you don't mind... We have this list in verse 21. It says, Moreover thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. So if you don't mind using this as our outline, let's see these qualifications. First of all, they must be able men. They must be able men. When I'm using men here, I'm using it the idea of mankind for our purposes. But they must be able men. Meaning that they have to fit the qualifications. Now, the reason why I say this is because some people have the mentality that if there is an open position, you put a warm body into it. And many churches follow this. So let's say, for example, true life example, my wife was sick one day, all right? She's our pianist, and in the small church we were pastoring before, we um, she, we didn't have an assistant pianist, so we just had the one, and so I said, let's just do it a cappella. Well, happens to be inside of the crowd was a very a decently accomplished pianist, and her family was all saying... But she's available, let her play. Now she was like, stop it, stop it. But the family was getting an uproar. Let her play, she's my daughter. I know she can play, she's my sister, she can play. And they're trying to force it into the service. Now being a pastor, I can't just allow anybody to come in. What I knew about her is that first of all, she wasn't a member. Second of all, she was living with a guy that she was not married with. And everybody knew it. See, she wasn't in a position to be qualified. And yet the church is saying, here's an empty body. Let's put someone in that position. We can't do that. If a concert pianist came in here and said, hey, I'm a concert pianist. Praise the Lord. Can I play? The answer is going to be no. Not right now. Why? Because we don't, are not looking necessarily for the accomplishment as we are finding someone who is right with the Lord you understand that's the qualification there it is much better to have someone who is spirit-filled than someone who's away from God but could hit the right notes it there's a able men there's a qualification here now the reason why I say that is because so many churches have this mentality of ministry That we place someone in a position to make them faithful. Meaning that, oh, here's a family here. We want to keep them in the church. We're afraid they're going to slip away. So I know, let's put them in a Sunday school class. And because they have this responsibility, they're going to feel like they have to be part of our church. And that's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe to hurt a lot of people. For example, I remember door knocking once and was talking with a lady and said, are you 100% sure if you die today you go to heaven? She goes, no, absolutely not. I know I'm not 100%. I've been struggling with this. In fact, I've been going to this church over here. And she pointed at the church and she goes, I've been going over there hoping to hear the answer. And they put me in a Sunday school class where I'm teaching it. And I don't even know if I'm going to heaven. I don't understand why they want me to teach a class. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. We don't put people in a position to make them faithful. That's not how it works. I re- there's been many times that I've talked with a good family. Nothing wrong with them, but they weren't members of the church. But they were considering members of the church. And at, over the meal, what they're waiting for me to say is, if you join our church, I'm going to give you this Sunday school class. And it never happened. And they didn't join Because they were looking for a position in order to make them faithful. What we're supposed to be doing according to this passage is find faithful people to place in a position. That you're to find able men. This word able in this context does carry the idea of faithful. That they're already faithful because they're faithful. We help put them in a position. Because they're faithful. We can trust them to be in a position. Now let me give you. And pull back the curtain of the ministry. I give everyone. A small task to do. Everyone. And if they obey that small task. I'll give them another task. And another task. But if I give them a small task. And they say no. Or they say yes and don't do it. Well, then I'm not going to give them anything else. I'll wait a little bit and test them a little bit later. You know what we're doing? Is that we're looking for faithfulness. Can they be trusted? Amen. Before I got here, the Riverview Baptist Church already had a policy that no one can serve in a position, trustee, teacher, whatever else, until they've been a member for a year. Why do they have that policy? By the way, I would have that policy even if it wasn't already in fact. Why? Because we're looking for faithfulness. And as they've proven themselves to be faithful to the Lord, then we can trust them to be in a position. By the way, anyone who becomes a Sunday school teacher or discipling someone is someone in this church that's already proven themselves faithful, and I can trust them. It's a high regard. I think a lot of them, if they're teaching in a class or teaching discipleship, They've already proven themselves. Does that make sense? But this is what the Bible says is look for. The very first thing is that we're looking for is faithfulness. They must be able men. They must be faithful. That's what we're looking for. Faithfulness. Now, that's not the only qualification. That's the first one. Now, with that idea of faithfulness, think about this. That not only they must be faithful, but notice the second qualification. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people. That means not all the people are going to be qualified, but out of the people there are qualified people. Moreover, out of the, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, notice this, such as fear God. So not only must they be able men, they must love God. This idea of fear God uh, Will carry the idea in this case of love God. Here is a law in science that 's found in the law in the Bible. The law of biogenesis for those taking biology right now, this is important law you 'll get tested on this. The law of biogenesis. What in the world is this? Everything reproduces after its own kind. So if I have a tomato tr- plant i 'm going to get out of it a whale. No, I'm going to get a tomato. That's the law, of biogenesis. Everything else, everything reproduces after its own kind. So, with this, we understand the principle that I will not reproduce necessarily what I want. I reproduce what I am. I don't reproduce necessarily what I want. I reproduce what I am. So, the qualification here is they must. Love God. So, if you have a Sunday school teacher who doesn't read her Bible, what are you going to reproduce? Students who don't read their Bible. If you have a Sunday school teacher who is not a soul winner, what are you going to reproduce? Someone who is not a soul winner. You don't reproduce what you want, you reproduce what you are. This is what we call influence. We know that for a teacher you have three types of influence. You have the influence of content, you have the influence of communication, and you have the influence of conduct. I told you this is going to be practical, you say. It's not normal preaching, but it's practical. So this is what I, actually when I taught in school... I would have sometimes the principal ask me to teach a lesson, and I would teach a lesson about influence, so we have the influence of content, the influence of communication, and the influence of conduct. What is this well, first of all is is content. What are we teaching? Is the subject matter, that's what we're trying to teach the student. So if I'm teaching history, I'm expecting the student to understand history. If I'm teaching science, I want the teacher to understand science. If I'm teaching algebra, I'm hoping that somehow their brain is able to comprehend X's and Y's and all of the how that works together. So that's the main thing the teachers try to teach. However, at the same time, that's not all they're teaching just like you have active teaching, you have passive teaching. So I'm actively teaching them the content, but inactively I'm also teaching them other things. For example, we have the influence of communication, meaning that how they say it. You know, you can have two teachers that have the same subject, that one you love and one you hate. Why? Because of their communication, how they speak it, how do they communicate it, how they spend time. We all had those favorite teachers that make it come alive. Then we all had those teachers that were just enduring to the end and paint eyeballs on our eyelids so that way we look like we're awake and we hear the ma 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 we, that's the influence of communication. And we should always be working on how we speak and how we communicate and trying to work on engaging the classes. But then we have the influence of conduct. The influence of conduct. And that's how we behave ourselves. Remember, students always will take learn your idiosyncrasies before they learn anything else. Meaning they learn your bad habits. They learn your things. For example, there was a famous preacher by the name of Jack Hiles. Who had a throat problem. And oftentimes when he would preach, he would have to clear his throat. (coughs) (coughs) Well, all of his Bible college students who learned after him. They thought that's just how you do it. So they would preach a message and and clear their throat too. Even though there was nothing wrong. What did they learn from him? Well, they learned his idiosyncrasies. Um, Pastor Clarence Sexton in Tennessee. He's got a calf muscle that's shrinking. He has to work all the time to keep what little muscle he has. But what it does is it causes him to limp. So the students who learn from him preaching, what do they learn from him? They walk with a limp when they preach. There's nothing wrong with their leg or their back, but they learn that. What happens is they learn our idiosyncrasies. They learn our conduct. Now with this, If we're not reading our Bibles, what are they going to pick up from me? They're going to pick up doing it in their own flesh. We all have, maybe, (laughs) there's many preachers who preach from their flesh and not from the Bible. By the way, let me also kick this. I'm kicking everything else. God never told me to preach what's on my heart. He told me to preach the word. There's totally difference. I'm not supposed to preach what's in my heart. I'm supposed to preach the word. But you get some preacher who preaches from his heart, guess what people are going to learn? Preach from their heart. Preach what they feel like rather than what the Bible says. If you have someone who's not a soul winner, this is why, by the way, in our church, in order to hold a position, you have to be a soul winner. Why? Because of this. Because if they're not faithful, they're not obedient to the Lord in telling others about Christ. They're not going to reproduce others who are obedient to Christ in this. You understand? So here we have the second qualification, they must love God. Meaning here, we're expecting them to have a walk with God. If someone's not reading their Bible, they're not walking with God. And they're not going to reproduce other people who are reading their Bible. You understand? And again, I'm not trying to blast all the churches, but we could all see where these churches are doing these things wrong. I've been to churches where for Sunday school class, instead of teaching the Bible, they take all the kids and go play football. Okay? And so what happens is that when the kids turn 18, now I got to go sit in church, they find church boring because they've never been taught the joys of the word. They've never been taught that. They've developed an appetite for fun and games and not an appetite for following after Christ. Why? Where did that come from? The teacher. This is why the qualification is they must fear God. They must love the Lord. They have a personal relationship. Remember, we've explained this fear of the Lord. Where does it come from? The fear of the Lord comes from a personal, intimate knowledge of God. If they don't have a personal, intimate knowledge of God, they're not going to reproduce others who follow after God. Does that make sense? These are qualifications. That's why you just don't throw someone in a Sunday school class who is not proven, who is not faithful, who doesn't have a walk for God. You just don't put people inside of a class or in a position or doing something in the church if they don't have these qualifications. This is meant to be a qualification to help things move forward, not to stay the same. Remember, there are two types of churches. I'm just doing all kinds of teaching today. There are two types of churches. There are churches that are moving forward, and there are maintaining churches. Churches that just want to stay where they're at. In fact, when the Lord was bringing me here, when (laughs) they thought they were interviewing me, but I was interviewing them. Do you have a desire to move forward? If not, cut me off right now. And they say, well, what does that mean? Well, good. When I say we're moving forward, we're all going to be talking about the Lord. We're all going to be soul winning. And I think I talked a little bit about this. And if you're not interested in it, no big deal. Just don't think of me as your pastor. But if you're going to choose me as the pastor, this is what I expect of you. And they chose me, so I guess that meant yes. (laughs) But you understand, we don't have a desire just to maintain it should be moving forward. And in order to move forward, you have to have a structure in place. And with it, you have to have the qualified people in place. Not just a warm body in a position, but people, first of all, that are able. Second of all, they must love the Lord. Notice something else here. Notice in verse 21, Moreover thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth. So the third qualification is they must love truth. They must love truth. By the way, what is that? It's the Bible. They must love truth. Also, if you love truth, you know what that means? They hate error. If you love truth, then you hate error. That means we have to expose and confront error. Now we are supposed to do it with truth and grace. We are supposed to do it with love and mercy. But we have to tell the people the truth. We have to love on them at the same time. But we have to tell them the truth. There are so many churches now that don't teach truth. But thy word is truth the Bible says. And for someone to be in a position to help a church. To help a ministry move forward. They have to. To love truth, they have to love the word of God. If someone doesn't love the word of God, then error is going to start creeping in. Why do churches fall apart after a while? Because they allow people to um, to um, <coughs> in positions that don't love the Lord. You could always go back to Doctor Lee Roberson, Doctor Lee Roberson, who was uh, one of the figureheads. ...of the Independent Baptist Movement... ...during the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s... ...trained thousands of preachers... ...who were serving worldwide... ...many of them are still serving now... ...but the day that he resigned his church... ...to become uh, uh, Pastor Emeritus... ...the church announced that they were... ...changing doctrine... ...and moving on something... ...and then on his deathbed... ...at his funeral the church... ...announced that they were quitting... ...where they were standing... And moving over here. How did that happen? Because people were placed in a position just as a warm body who didn't love truth. And it will start corrupting a church from the inside. You have to have people who love truth. And are willing to stand on the truth and say, I'm sorry, this is what the Bible says. Now, does it mean we're hateful about it? We always have to watch our attitude and our spirit. But I'm sorry we don't believe that here. We're not going to stand for it. I'm sorry we don't teach that here. That's something we don't do. And that has to be done. Because error is always trying to come in. And we have to love truth. Notice something else. Moreover thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. Such as fear God. Men of truth hating covetousness. Hating covetousness we just had a Sunday school lesson on covetousness and spent a lot of time on this but covetousness carries the idea of desiring something it's not God's will for you to have desiring something not God's will for to have people who are covetousness are often materialistic meaning they're desiring the materials the substance of the world you know you will doom your children if you want them to have the best of everything You know that mentality came after World War II where that generation said, you know what, I want my children to have better than what I have. Then the next generation said, I want my children to have better than what I have. And I want my children to have better than what I have. And now you have a group of people that think they deserve everything and they're entitled for everything instead of being taught to work for what they want. This is where covetousness has brought our country and has brought people as they've lost this ability to work, they think that they're entitled and they think they're deserving. Money must not rule your life. Now covetousness goes beyond the idea of desiring things, it also comes to the idea of desiring reputation. If somebody is serving God for the idea of everyone look at how great I am you're in the wrong business. We should be doing it to let people look at God not us. It's all about Him. I have the biggest class. Well if we're doing Sunday school right no one's going to have the biggest class. Well I'm the best toilet cleaner there is. Well I hope someone brags about that. You understand, covetousness is even in the qualification of being a pastor. Why is covetousness, isn't a pastor supposed to be above that? Well, you know how many times a pastor goes, well, how come they got more people than me? I had preachers come up to me and said, how come I don't have a max? They're coveting max. But you know, that's so easy to do. Well, how come I don't have that? How come we don't have something nice like this? we do that in our Sunday school classes. Well, they always get the better vacuum than I do. They have the better Sunday school class. Why can't I have students like that? And that's covetousness. And that's a good way to ruin a lot of things. By putting someone who, who's all about them and trying to make them look good rather than trying to make God look good. Pointing up to him. It's all about again this is some practical things these are very useful things you understand with the idea of covetousness that what we do in moderation our children will do in excess they're always pushing the envelopes this is why we ask for our teachers to have certain standards why because the next generation is always going to take it further than we go They're always going to make things worse. They're always going to push the envelope. They're always trying to see what they can get away with. That's just the nature of how it is. In fact, our children will use what we do to either accuse themselves or excuse themselves. That our children will use what we do to either accuse themselves or accuse. Excuse themselves. Accuse themselves is the good thing. It's convicting. Well, you know, mom always followed the Lord and read her Bible. I'm not reading my Bible. And it's going to be a challenge to them. But my mama didn't read the Bible, so I don't see why I have to read the Bible. See, they're excusing themselves. You see, this idea of influence comes into play in how we work with people, in our attitudes, in our following after the Lord that we understand that there's another generation that comes to play that watch what we do and how we do it. And we want them to take the good things out of it rather than use it as an excuse to do whatever they want. But there's one more qualification here. As we see this, Moreover thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all seasons, that it shall be that every great matter they shall bring to thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so it shall be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If we notice here, Jethro even goes on and says in verse 23, and if thou shalt do this thing... And God command thee so. What we see here, this last qualification, is they must be willing to accept this as a God-given responsibility. A God-given responsibility. You know why I'm playing piano? Not because pastor's making me. I'm doing this for the Lord. You know why I'm teaching this class? Not because no one else would do it. I get to do this. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm going to do my best. You understand there's a different motive. Why am I vacuuming the church? Nobody else will do this stupid thing. I'm doing this for the Lord. They have to accept this as a God-given responsibility. This is my place in what God has given me to do. And I get to serve God. I get the privilege of serving God. You know, to be a leader, there's a couple things that are there. First of all, to be a leader you must walk a much finer line than others. Why? Everyone's watching you. You have to walk a finer line. You can get away with a lot less. Because you're being watched. You're an example. Children are watching you. And that's part of it. If someone's not willing to take that responsibility, they shouldn't take the responsibility. There is something about being Him. You understand, to be a leader, you're going to be judged for doing things that are right. You're just one of those Bible people, thumpers. I don't understand why you have to go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. That's just unreasonable. They're going to be As a leader, you're going to be judged for things, doing what's right. Why do you have to teach out of that Bible? Why can't I use what I want? Well, there's a reason for that. Why do we do such things here? Well, let me explain why. We're going to get criticized for doing what's right. It's going to happen. But if someone's not willing to take that criticism, they should not take the position. It's part of following after God. You know, with being a leader, you have to also realize... It is much easier to please God than please some men. It is much easier to please God than some men. You're never going to make everyone happy. Right? For example, some of you are wishing the air conditioner was on now. Some of you are just right and some of you are still cold. It's that type of year I'm not going to make everyone happy. Might as well just make everyone miserable and get it over with. And that's a little thing, but you know, little things, there's much bigger things. And you're not going to please everyone. Well, I don't understand why he always starts off with, bless the Lord. Why can't we do something else? You know, I'm being facetious. I'm hopefully hitting things that are not real things. But we all understand things like that happen. And it's much easier to please God than please other people. You know, when you work with children, you have to work with parents. When I was teaching school, I loved teaching the students, but then I had to deal with parents. And parents nowadays always take the kid's side. (laughs) I can tell stories. I'm not going to because I'm already busting time. But you understand, to take that God-given responsibility, not everyone's going to be happy. I my job's to please God. As long as He's happy with me, I'm good. I can't preach messages that are gonna make everyone happy. I'm sure that someone listening this message is not happy with me. My audience is God. When someone plays the piano, there's always gonna be someone. Well, they hit the wrong note, or why do they play it that way? My my job's to please up them. Teaching a Sunday school class. There's always going to be some parent. Well, why don't you give my kids snacks and treats? And why did you get after Mr. Billy? He wasn't, he's was always a good boy. Well, I'm sorry, he was biting the girl next to him, you know. <laughs> not Billy. Yes, Billy, here's phone evidence. You don't fake that. You know, there's always going to be something. You're not going to please everyone. In order to be In the ministry, you have to realize he is the one I'm pleasing. And that I'm not going to make everyone happy. And if you try to make everyone happy, you're going to kill yourself. Because it cannot be done. Mm -hmm. But then also to be a leader, were you willing to allow your family to be the family of a leader? For example, my kids did not get a vote whether I was going to be pastor or not. In fact, they were little, tiny, little kids when I first pastoring. By the way, that was always interesting. That's talking about learning how to raise your kids right immediately. Because I'm on the platform, leading singing. Lee is playing piano. And we are expecting our two, three, and four-year-olds to behave and sit still while we're ministering. And if they were not, I'm a bad pastor. Why can't you control your kids? (laughs) You know, you understand there's always going to be, but I have to realize that my family is going to get criticized because I'm in the ministry. If you're not willing to take that responsibility on and understand that they're going to pay, they're going to be part of it, then you're not supposed to be in there. This is a God-given ministry and there's things to it. But let me tell you these qualifications. These aren't supposed to be scary qualifications. They're supposed to be bringing us up. So that way we could function correctly. The purpose of this is so we are not just maintaining. But we're moving forward. And I can't do it by myself. But as we get more people who are discipling. By the way, we have three people who are able to disciple right now. And you need to be praying, where's my disciple? Where is it at? And go start looking for the person, lead him to the Lord. I have to have people. That's the whole purpose why we're discipling in the first place. Those who are in discipleship, I'm letting you know we're praying right now that you're going to start discipling someone soon. And if we've got an, all of us discipling and moving forward together, it's going to be great. Sunday school teachers should be praying that their classes grow and start looking for kids. Where are they at? Praying them in. If Kids, <coughs> make yourself friendly to the kids right away. Uh, we're gonna, I'm looking for an assistant to the teacher for me so I could break off the adult class. Eventually, I'm going to look forward to me teaching the teens and have someone teaching the adults. I'm just letting you know we're going to be doing this. This Sunday school thing of keeping the classes small and splitting. That's what we want. I want ladies classes. I want a Spanish speaking classes. I want a Hmong speaking class. I want a deaf class. I want ladies class. I want all of these things. And they can happen. And they should be happening. But we're not placing anyone in a position where they're not qualified. We're not putting them in a position to make them faithful. We're going to hurt them and we're going to hurt us. But we're going to be looking for faithful men. Who are qualified and we're going to move forward together. Again, a very practical... And again, don't you, M- Moses was so thankful that Jethro helped him. In fact, Moses followed his advice and they structured it. And as rough as the next 40 years was going to be... It would have been a lot worse if they didn't structure. Moses would have killed himself sooner. It would have been horrible. Same thing here. If we want to move forward, we need to be on the same page. And we need to know what the qualifications are. What we're looking for in people as we move forward. You say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, that praise the Lord. It's a good self-awareness. Let's pray that you become there. This isn't a thing that we're trying to disqualify people. We're trying to show you where the bar is so you could lift up to it. So that way you could fall. I want you to be praying. Say, God, give us labors. So we have that as one of our prayer requests. Lord, give us labors. We're not asking for warm bodies. We're looking for laborers. People to help us. And this is what we're looking for when we're asking for laborers, able men. Who fit these qualifications. Able mankind. Able people. And we want to move forward. I hope you have the same desire that I do. To see this church move forward. Not just to stagnate. Not just to be here. Not us four and no more. But just to move forward for the Lord. And see our communities spread with the gospel.